Thanks for listening to the Velocity Church podcast. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Now here's the message. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're only going to go through two verses. Two verses today, all right? And I, I, as I was reading through the whole chapter here this week, and I was talking at the Brotherhood Breakfast yesterday. We had a great time at that, by the way. And I was uh, talking to some guys there and uh, just kind of telling me, you know, as I was studying this week through the chapter 5 of Ephesians, there's so much, and I really felt like God was just saying, hey, uh, I want you to kind of plan it in verses 1 and 2. And, uh, and so that's where we're going to be. And there's a lot in there, guys. And what we were talking about, I had a great uh, discussion yesterday about this, is just that as you read the Bible, you start to pull more and more and more the meat just out of one verse. And you can sit there and you can chew on that for a while. And so uh, if you brought your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be at today. And um, one thing I want to mention, too, that we've got coming up that I'm excited about looking forward to before we, we dive in here today is uh, here in the next couple, within the next couple weeks, you'll see it uh, probably post out in loop, and you'll see uh, us, us put some stuff out there about a new series that we're going to start here soon called Good Question. And uh, I don't know how many of you were here around 2020. Uh, we did a series that was kind of similar to this, where what, we, what we're going to do is we're going to post a poll in loop of some questions I guess you could call them some hot topic questions that people are having conversations about just in the world today. And what we're going to do is we're going to say, well, what does the Bible say about this? And so just to give you some examples of some of the questions that we're going to put out uh, that you can go into loop and you're going to vote on. And we're just going to take the top three questions that people want us to talk about and look in the Word and see what God's Word has to say about. So uh, some examples, um, you know, one of the questions people ask, right, is why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Why do bad things happen to good people? That You might see that as one of the questions. Uh, you know, we, we might, um, yeah, one of the questions might be, how does God define marriage? Right? Um, uh, one of the questions might be, how does Jesus, how would Jesus approach politics today? Uh, and we did that one last go around, and uh, you should see people's faces, and, and especially the time when we did that, uh, people were like, oh my goodness, what are you doing there? You, you're stepping into a, a, you know, a trap, right? Here's the big idea and the point is, is this, is the church doesn't need to be timid and shy away from questions that people are having in the world. And if we can't have those kinds of conversations in the church, then where are we going to have them? We're going to have them you know, in our workplace, wherever, with our friends, with our family, and that's all good. But what does God's word say about it? See, this would be a hot topic and probably an intimidating thing to do if I had to come up here and just share my own personal opinions. But guess what? That's not what I'm going to do. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to look at God's word and say, what does God's word say about these things? What does the Bible say about these things? And are there areas in my life that I can be challenged on maybe thoughts that I've had that maybe over time I've begun to justify some things even in my own life, right? But what does God's word say? Like, what does the word say? What does it mean? How does it impact us in the way we live? And it's going to change our perspective. And so I'm really excited about that. And so be on the lookout for that. I would love for you guys to bring somebody. 
I would love for you to just say, I've got this person on my mind. I'd love for you to come out and extend an invite to them and say, hey, come to church with me this weekend. You know, ask them, hey, shoot them a text, you know, or talk to them at work. Or maybe, maybe the Lord has put somebody on your heart. And, and it's just a simple invite. Hey, you, you should come check out my church and come visit. We'd love to, uh, yeah, that's part of what we're called to do, right? That's part of uh, the gospel is to go out, you know, and to be witnesses where we're at. And a simple invite to church might be the very thing that they need to take a step in the door and go, what is this Jesus thing all about? You know, what, is, what does this mean? And I think that this series in particular is going to answer some, some questions that are, are going on in the world we are dealing with today. Right, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it, and uh, be looking on Loop to get in there and uh, vote on the questions that you want and what you're thinking, and then we're, we'll, we'll take the top three and we'll go from there. So that's coming up here very soon. All right, Ephesians chapter five. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's okay. We should have it up here on the screen for you here this morning. You could probably you'll probably have these verses memorized by the time today's over because it's just two, and, and they're fairly simple, right? Let's dive into this here today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, somebody say, therefore. therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, what does that prompt us to do? What is therefore, therefore? That's the, you like that? You like that? What is therefore, right? Uh, it, it prompts the question, okay, what, what are we doing? Where are we going? So therefore, in light of what we just read, therefore, what does he say? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, what I want to do is I want to look back in chapter 4, verse 32, and this is where we closed last week. And so what does verse 32 say in chapter 4? He says, Paul is, is telling, and these are Christians, right? Paul is writing to who? Let's remind ourselves, the church. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. These are believers. Remember we learned that last week? He, what does he tell them? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I want you to focus in on the last five words. What does it say? And if you, if you have Bibles, you can underline it, you can highlight it, whatever you want to do there. As God in Christ forgave you. You and I have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. God has forgiven me. You know the weight that that carries? I'm forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of that, go be imitators of God. So what does that mean? That means God has forgiven me through Jesus so I can forgive somebody else through Jesus. As an imitator of God, that empowers me as a follower of Jesus to forgive somebody else. How many of you have ever, you've dealt, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you've dealt with maybe some unforgiveness in your heart, in your life. Maybe somebody said something, somebody did something to you, they wronged you. And, and let me just tell you this. There are people here today, you've had horrific things that people have done, maybe said about you. And, and, and you have every right by the world's standards to hold on to bitterness and say, I'm, I'm never forgiving that person for what they did. Here's what I want to tell you this morning is that unforgiveness is one of those things in our lives that if we harbor it and we hold on to it, it continues to grow and it takes root in our heart. In Hebrews, it says, uh, don't allow a root of bitterness to spring forth. 
Where does the bitterness come from? Well, it comes from just holding on to a grudge. Maybe something somebody said, something somebody did. Forgiveness does not excuse the thing that the person did, but it will set you free. So I want you to focus on here today. God wants you to live in freedom. He doesn't want you to live in bondage. And I've seen so many people and Christians just walking around in life like, like defeated, right? And it's because I'm holding on to this, this thing that somebody did or somebody said. And unforgiveness, it's taking root in the garden of my heart. And what happens when it takes root? It's bitterness. And then the weeds of bitterness begin to grow in your heart. And this can happen. This can happen. To, this happens to Christians. I can tell you there are people in my life that I've met, that I've run into, and it's like these people become known for their unforgiveness. It almost becomes an identity. And if we're not careful, we can walk in that and we can carry that and be unaware of it. Because we haven't exposed that root of bitterness that's been planted. Be careful what you allow to be planted in your heart. The words of other people, don't let those words, those seeds, if they're not from God, uh, be rooted and planted in your heart and hold on to them. We do have a choice, don't we? A choice to do what? To say, I'm going to uproot this thing. Have you ever had weeds in your garden before, in your yard, and you want to get rid of weeds? You ever had that before? You got, I, I, got, I got all these weeds. How am I going to get rid of these weeds? There's a couple ways you can do it. You can go to your garage. You can break out the weed eater. You crank that thing up, and what do you do? I can take, it's very efficient, right? I can go out there, crank this weed eater up, and I can take them all out in a matter of just seconds, right? Very, very quick process. But when you're weed eating, what's happening? You're just dealing with it at a surface level, and you're not getting to the root of the weed. So what's going to happen? Days go by. Maybe years go by, not with the weeds, but with unforgiveness. Time goes by, and what happens? Well, there's those weeds again. Why? Because I never dealt with the root of bitterness in my heart. So how do I deal with the root of bitterness? You've got to break out the shovel to get rid of the weeds. What is the shovel in our lives? That's forgiveness. That only God can empower you to that kind of forgiveness. Through his Holy Spirit. You might go, man, I can't forgive them. It's because you're waiting on a feeling to do it. We don't follow our feelings. We're just obedient to what the word says and what God is calling us to do. So what does that mean? That means I break out the shovel of forgiveness and I get down to the root of the issue. What is it in my heart? First, you got to know that it's there. You got to be able to know that, to, to be able to expose it. You got to know that it's there and not continue to live in such a way as to just kind of harbor that and just go, oh, it's just a part of my life. It's just what that person said. And then 30 years later, we're still talking about the thing that that person said. It has far less effect on them than what's happening to you. So what do we do? We break out the shovel of forgiveness and we uproot it. Here's the question that people ask. How do I do that? Because it's one thing for, you to for me to tell you here today, get the shovel of forgiveness out and uproot that. But how am I supposed to actually do that? What does that mean for me? How do I practically do that? You mean to tell you how we do that? Where that starts? It starts by getting on your knees seeking Jesus, exposing the root of it, and putting it in his hands, laying it at his feet, and giving it over to Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit will bring the power for you to do it. And that's where the healing comes in your life. But you won't experience that if we continue to hold on and harbor that. And so as imitators of God, what is he saying? Well, Jesus forgave me, so I get to forgive others. Do you see how this is counterculture to the world we live in? Because people don't live this way. Like nobody in the world operates this way. 
What, what is this we're talking about here today? We're talking about living out the gospel. This is what it means to start living the gospel. I'm saved. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. You're secure in Christ Jesus. He saved you. You've given your life to him. Now live this out. And that's what the last three chapters of Ephesians, the focus really is. And last week was fantastic in Ephesians chapter 4. He's telling us all these things, right? One of the roots was offense that we were sitting in. It was like how offended that we can be. See, in the beginning of Ephesians, like I mentioned earlier, it's all about who you are in Christ Jesus. You're, uh, you're no longer enslaved to sin, right? You've been redeemed by the blood. These are all the things that Paul said. You, you have redemption through his blood. You're a part of the family, You've been adopted. But God, even though you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, what did he do? Made us alive. And then when we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, say, okay, so what are you going to do about that reality now? You're going to live it out? These are some things I want you to do. And they're not easy. It's counterculture to the world. Our world does not say, forgive those who do you wrong. That's not how the world operates. It's like, this is how the world operates. You do me wrong, and I'm going to do you wrong. Right? I'm looking out for number one. Right? It's, it's all about, oh, no, I'm not going to be taking, no, you're not taking advantage of me, buddy. No, no, no. Hold on now. Just wait a second. That's how the world operates. What, what, what are we saying here? As imitators of God, we can forgive. How do we do it? Through the Holy Spirit. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he'll meet you there. You lay it at his feet. God, I've been dealing with this. I lay it at your feet here. I give it to you, Lord. I give this to you. I'm not going to allow the offense or something that somebody else did to me, I'm not going to allow that to keep me bound. I'm not going to allow to keep, uh, keep myself in bondage. I'm going to walk in the freedom that only you give, God. How many of you want freedom? You want freedom in life. You know what the world is looking for? They're looking for freedom. That's what they're, 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 they're desperately looking for freedom. And they're looking in all the wrong places. I want to live in the freedom. See, it's, it's, here's the question. The question is not how much forgiveness does that person deserve? The question is how free do you want to be? How, how, how much forgiveness? That, how free do you want to be? That's the question you got to ask yourself today. Do I truly want to trust God with this and give it to him and lay it at his feet and know he's a good God who has good plans for his children, a good father? It doesn't excuse the thing that somebody's done to you. It doesn't mean, oh, it's not a big deal. No, I'm not saying that at all. It probably, it probably was a big deal. Somebody probably did do something wrong, did hurt you. We live in a place filled with evil. And evil people do evil things. And so what we're not doing here this morning is we're not excusing the evil things that people could have done to you. What we're saying is you don't have to carry the weight. It doesn't have to affect you in your life. And it doesn't have to uh, put that identity and that status on you. But you can walk in the freedom that only Jesus can give. So we're to be imitators of God. What does it mean to imitate? It means I model that, that way of living. I model that lifestyle. Jesus walked it out for us, didn't he? I'm going to model that life. As a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to be content with just flowing with the patterns of the world. 
I want to go through the transformation, the renewing of my mind, as Scripture says. I don't want to just get caught up in the patterns of the world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want to imitate the life that God wants me to live. I want to live a life after him. That means that you're going to do things that are different than everybody else. You're going to react to things that are different than everybody else. We ought, as the church, not to have the same response as everybody else to everything. There ought to be something different. There ought to be something different. And listen, I'm not telling you today that this is easy. But what I am telling you is this is what the Lord commands us to do. And we're called to walk in obedience. And God meets you in that obedience. He'll meet you there in the obedience. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's your identity. You know what your identity is? Beloved child. You've given your life to Christ. That is your identity. I am, a, I am his beloved. What does that mean? That means God loves me. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave. He, he didn't just love you. He so loved you. You. God loves you. Sometimes we think of God's love and we think of it as just a big church Christian picture. Yes, God loves the church. He loves you. Uniquely knows you on a personal level and chooses to love you. You know you too. <laughs> right? Have you ever been there like, why, why would God love somebody like me? Man, I know everything. I know all my past. I know all my, right? But he chooses to love. That's your identity. I'm loved by Jesus. Unconditionally loved by Jesus. Meaning I don't have to earn his love he just loves me. Some of you, you need to go home, and, and, and what you need to do is you need to look in the mirror, and you need to look at yourself, and you need to say, loved, child of God, loved by your heavenly Father. You need to start your day that way. Look at yourself. Loved. I am loved. People have this picture of God because we see all the things that we do. They tend to have this picture of God like he's looking down and he's angry. Oh, there they go again. <clears throat> like God's got a fly swatter in heaven. He's just ready to beat you over the head every time you make a mistake. Right? That's not the face of God toward you. There's people who you can experience the healing of God here this morning by just knowing his love for you. I remember, and if you're a parent, right, you experience that love for your children. You get a glimpse into that love, right? You get a glimpse into that love. How many of you have seen your kids do something and just like, maybe it's a sporting event or something you're just so proud that you see them do. And, and you're just so proud of your kids. Or as a parent, you're like, yes. That's your heavenly father toward you. That's the face of your God toward you. I remember my son Judah, about a couple weeks back, he said a full sentence in perfect clarity. It was the first time that he's done that ever. And as a dad, I'm so proud, right? I'm like, awesome, right? This is, this is awesome. That is the spirit of your heavenly father toward you. And it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. He's like, that's my child. That's my daughter. 
That's my son. And I love them. I love them. Do you know how loved you are? People can reject you. It doesn't change God's love. There's nothing, the Bible says, that can separate us from the love of God. That's good news today. We could leave right now and hold on to that reality in our lives. I am loved. I am his beloved child. That's my identity. Victimhood is not my identity. Child of God. Beloved child, that's my identity. That's who I am. He says, as beloved children, what is he going to say? He tells us, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He tells us to do now what? You've been loved. So walk in that love. That means as an imitator of God, just like forgiveness, I can extend love to people. Now I can love the way God loves. What does this mean? Jesus says to love your enemies. We're going to go there today, okay? Love your enemies. It's easy to love people you love. You know what I'm saying? It's easy to love the people that you love, but what about your enemies? See, living a lifestyle, that counterculture lifestyle, living out the gospel, what does that mean? That means I love my enemies. What's an enemy? That's somebody who doesn't want good for me. Do you see how the world kind of has a problem with that? And naturally, you and I, we take issue to that. We're like, they don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my love. And what is it? What are we waiting for? Why, and, and why do we as Christians, we have such an issue with loving our enemies? This is what I think that one of the issues is, is we're waiting on the feeling to show up before we extend it. <clears throat> so we're waiting on this feeling. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to love when I feel loved. I'm going to extend love when that warm, fuzzy feeling shows up. What if it never shows up? Are we still called to love? Are we still called to walk in love? Are we still called to extend love to others? Well, wait a second. But if I don't feel it, then how do I do it? It's obedience. Just like forgiveness, sometimes it's like I don't feel like forgiving, and I don't feel like extending love. But I'm obedient in it. And that's the place that God meets you. It's your obedience. This is what it looks like to live counterculture to the world. This is what it looks like to live out the gospel. I extend love even when it doesn't make sense. Like that person did me wrong. Why would I love that person? Why would I extend love? He doesn't only say extend love, but what does he say? He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love is not just a feeling, it's a sacrifice. It's a, what, what is the sacrifice? Maybe, maybe for you today, it's the need to be right all the time. I've seen that. Like somebody can't sacrifice the idea of, of you know, just being willing to set some pride aside and say, you know what, I was wrong. 
That's an extension of sacrificial love. Do you know that? <laughs> sacrificial love. It takes a sacrifice to be obedient and extend love to someone who did you wrong, doesn't it? It's not easy. But I want to share with you today, I don't know if you've ever heard this story. <clears throat> there was a, uh, a lady named Corey Ten Boom. Has anybody ever heard? And lots of you. There we go. So you're going to know where I'm going with this here this morning. Corey Ten Boom, she was, uh, her and her family were arrested during World War II for, uh, for harboring Jews from the Nazis. And uh, she was separated from her father. She was separated from her sister. Her, well, actually, her and her sister were taken to a camp together called Ravensbrook. She never would see her father again. She would never see her sister again. Her sister passed away. And uh, she was actually released. Somehow, she was released. There was an error in their paperwork, and they actually released Corey and let her go unintentionally. And everybody in that camp, all of the women that were in that camp with her, ended up passing away and dying during that time. And she shares a story that when you hear this story, it's so impactful and it's just on forgiveness. And I want to read this, this short story here to you. And uh, I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to clear some things for, for you and I today. This is what she says. This is now two years after she's been released. And, uh, and this is a part of her book called The Hiding Place. She says this, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. <clears throat> it was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite picture Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform, a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with the rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead light, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of her skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. He was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message. How good is it to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Raven's book in your talk, he was saying. 
I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prayer condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. And since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland and victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also return to the outside world, rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling, Lord. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. It's an incredible story, isn't it? It's powerful. Of all the people say, I would never forgive. She had every right in the world to never extend forgiveness. It's not a feeling that we wait for. It's an obedience to say, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because I want to be healed. That's where the healing happens. When we trust God. So I want you to see here today. Extending love to people who are your enemies, who don't show you love, that's where the healing takes place. It's when I submit to my God and I say, it's in your hands, Lord. I give it to you. I do it even though I don't feel it. Lord, you do the rest. That's where we will experience the healing. That's how we live out the freedom that God wants you to walk in. And hear me today. I want you to live in freedom. I don't want you to live in bondage. I don't want you to live bound by something somebody did or somebody said. We don't excuse the evil things that people do. But we walk in the freedom that God wants us to walk in. Amen? And we can do that. We give it to Jesus. We lay it at his feet. The question is not how much forgiveness do they deserve? It's how much freedom do you want? How much freedom do you want? I'm willing to forgive. Let's pray here this morning. Bow your heads. Father, we come to you right now, Lord, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what the circumstance, situation.
God, there are people here today, Lord, who I believe they've been done wrong, Lord. People have done things, said things to them, God. Hurtful things, evil things, God. We live in an evil, broken world who needs to know you, God. Right now, I pray that your spirit, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that love, God, that you've given us, it would work in us and then it would work through us. That forgiveness, God, that you've given us would work in us and then it would work through us to others, God, who don't deserve it. Lord, give us the power to extend love to people who don't deserve it. To walk out and live out the gospel. To step into the freedom, God, that only you can give. That's our cry here this morning. That's our heart's desire. I thank you for meeting people right here and right now. And I believe God is, I believe God is here right here and right now. He's ministering and healing people's hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what only you can do. Thank you for healing those broken, dark places in our lives. Thank you, God, that we can, we can trust you with it. We can come to you with it, Lord, and we can truly lay it at your feet in obedience, God. Thank you that our identity is beloved child. Thank you that I don't have to hold on to a status. I don't have to hold on to any labels anybody else in this world has given me because I am who you say I am, Jesus. We're so loved by our Heavenly Father. Thank you for your love. Thanks for listening today. To stay connected, visit us online at velocityburnham.org and follow us on Instagram. And if you're ever in the Burnham area, we'd love to have you visit us on a weekend. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.